0: So if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. Book of Habakkuk, and that's going to be in the Old Testament. If you're using one of the blue provided Bibles, it's going to be on page 785. And if you don't own a Bible, then please just consider that our church's gift to you. You're welcome to take that, and we pray that you would read through it and be edified by it and be built up in the faith. Uh, But we're in the book of Habakkuk. We've been going through the book of Habakkuk and and we've actually made it all the way through. We've gone through all all three chapters and now we're doing kind of an overview sermon. And I'm the kind of guy that, uh, I recognize this tends to be in the minority, but I really like to fly. I really like long flights. I just tend to enjoy them. Uh, It's just an opportunity to kind of be lazy for a few hours. No one can be upset with you for not going on a run or something. And so you can watch movies, you can read, but one of the interesting things about uh, flying, that we've, if you've flown, you have all experienced this, is that you get to kind of have a picture of the city that you otherwise weren't going to have. Being 10,000 feet up in the air, 20,000 feet up in the air, as you raise up over the city, you get to have, you get to notice and appreciate things about that particular city where you took off from or where you're landing, that you otherwise never would have had the opportunity to notice. And that's sort of the point of these overview sermons, is we're trying to kind of step back and see, okay, now how does this book fit into the overall theme of Scripture? How does this book, uh, what's the overall theme that we want to look at from this and see how it connects to the rest of God's Word? And the theme that we, that we have been saying throughout this book, and this is the main theme of today's sermon, is that the righteous will live by faith. Habakkuk says this in, in chapter 2, verse 4, God tells him that the righteous shall live by his faith. That's the overall theme of the whole book. The question is faith in what? Faith in what? It's great to say that the righteous will live by faith, but faith in what? Now before we jump into that, just to give you some context, uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, thank you for being here. I want to help you understand where we've been. And so the book of Habakkuk is the eight of twelve minor prop- prophets. There are four Major prophets, 12 minor prophets. Habakkuk is within those minor prophets, and he's the eighth of 12. And it was written by Habakkuk. That's who the book was written by. And it was written uh, in the final decades of Israel's southern kingdom of Judah. So Connor mentioned how the kingdom split. There's a northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And Judah gets overtaken by this nation of Babylon in 586 B.C. And so this book was written in the final decades. We don't know if it was 10 years before, or three years before, or 25 years before, but it's within those final decades. Now, what was going on within that southern kingdom of Judah is that there was rampant idolatry and much injustice. And Habakkuk sees it, and he's frustrated. And we get to read about how he takes these frustrations. God, What we've been saying throughout this is that it's okay to have frustrations. It's okay to be very honest with God in your prayers. The important thing is to take them to him. Take your complaints to him. Don't complain about him. Complain to him. Look at what his character is, as we'll talk about in this passage. And now, as he brings uh, all these laments, so to speak, to God, what we see is that Habakkuk draws God's attention to the injustice okay and and he's wrestling with the question that if there is all this injustice in the world and all this evil and all this wickedness and all this sin is God really good and Habakkuk finds out based off his interactions with God God graciously responds to him and we see this back and forth this dialogue going forth between Habakkuk and God but he finds out that God in fact is good but God's ways of addressing evil aren't what Habakkuk expected. Habakkuk thought it would be a certain way. God reveals to him that it's a different way. Habakkuk has a rough time with that. But then Habakkuk embraces it. And so God tells him in the midst of this dialogue that the righteous live by faith. In the first 11 verses of chapter 1, just to give a recap of the previous sermons that we've gone through, in the first 11 verses of chapter 1, so 1 through 11, we see that the righteous live by faith even when wickedness surrounds them, even when it's all around them. And then we see in the latter half of chapter 1 as well as the full chapter 2 that the righteous live by faith even when they don't understand God's ways. Back didn't understand why God was working the way that he was. And God says, even still, trust me, the righteous live by faith. And then last week as we looked at chapter 3, we saw that the righteous live by faith because God is faithful. The past informs their future. They can be reminded that I can trust God's ways because he has consistently come through in the past in providing salvation for his people. And So again we come to the question, okay the righteous live by faith, but faith in what? We've mentioned several things Uh, that that we are to place our faith in as we've gone through this series. But to summarize those things into three easy, hopefully easy-ish ways to remember it, you'll see in your bulletin there are three points, and here they are. The righteous live by faith in the character of God, the plans of God, and the salvation of God. The character of God, the plans of God, and the salvation of God. Let's pray, and then we'll start making our way through this book. Lord, we thank you for this book. We thank you for what you've taught us so far in it. God, we ask now that as we take a higher level view of it, that you would help us to understand it even better. Help us to be shaped by it. Help me to speak clearly. And Lord, we pray that ultimately as as we come to understand your word and We come to grow in our knowledge, that that would lead us to grow in our love for Christ and our love for you in the way that you have provided salvation. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so the first thing that we're called to have faith in is the character of God. Now, there are at least three characteristics on display in this book. There are plenty of characteristics of God, plenty of attributes of God. I'm not saying that it's only these three, but these three are kind of on display, being spotlighted in this book. And they are... God's love, God's justice, and God's holiness. His love, his justice, and his holiness. So we see in look at chapter 1, verse 2. Habakkuk says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save. Habakkuk knows that God has acted lovingly in the past to save his people, to provide salvation for his people. He has helped them in their affliction. He has heard their cry and he saved them from suffering. We see that. If you look closely at at verse two, we see those three things. How long shall I cry for help? and You will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save. He knows that God has helped his people before, that he's heard their cry and he has saved them in the past. And so Habakkuk has been bringing these things to God for a while now. He says, how long? Am I going to bring these things to you? And you're not going to hear. You're not going to save. We see in Exodus, which is referenced throughout this, this book, but we see in Exodus 3, verses 7 through 8, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. You hear that, uh, that him hearing cry, him helping them, him saving them. And so God did these things in the past because he loves his people. He cares for them. But yet, he hasn't done it in Judah. And Habakkuk is wondering why. And it's a fair question. He knows that God loves his people. He's seen evidence of it in the past. And so when he, he brings these things to God and he says, this is what's going on, understandably confused that God has not yet acted. It's a fair question. But even though Habakkuk trusts in the the love of God as part of his character, he also appeals to God's justice. And so look at look at verse four in chapter one. He says, So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. And so not only does Habakkuk know that God is loving and loves his people, which is part of why Habakkuk is confused that God hasn't acted yet, he also knows that God is just. He's trusting that, that aspect of God's character. And So he says, there's injustice, Lord. The justice that, that is being quote-unquote dealt out is it's going forth perverted. It's not real justice. Justice is absent, but injustice is going forward. And, and we can look back Habakkuk was likely doing this and see that God loves righteousness and justice. We see that in Psalm 33, 5. He loves righteousness and justice. But then we are in a pretty privileged position because we have God's completed word that we have access to. And so we today, we can also look forward to Revelation 22 verse 12 where we read Behold, I am coming soon bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. And so God is is sending his son back to judge and to repay each person for what he has done. So we see in the past, God loves righteousness and justice, and we can look ahead and say, okay, God loves righteousness and justice. He's going to come back and he's going to judge accordingly. God is perfectly just, which means every sin, he says there, He's going to repay each one according to what he has done. Every sin, then, will be paid for. And maybe, maybe you're here and, and you're not a believer, in which case, thank you for being here. But maybe you're thinking, okay, great, I'm glad God's going to do that. I, I feel pretty good about my standing because, yeah, sure, I have sin. But it's not that much. Like, surely the scales are going to weigh in my favor. I'll just submit to you that any act of rebellion, any sin, against an eternal God. An eternal and just God requires eternal judgment. Any sin or any act of rebellion against an eternal and just God requires eternal judgment. Now, a few years ago, this is probably 2017 or so, I was in a Starbucks at Easton, and I was, I was meeting uh, with one of my pastors. And we were just talking through this. And he, he, he laid it out for me this way, and it's always stuck with me. But he said, think of, Rob, think of somebody that you love. Think of someone that you love very deeply. And he said, what if I got into a fight with my wife, and we just kind of had it out, and to go cool off, I, I hopped in my car and decided to go driving. And I'm, I'm driving a little recklessly because I'm angry, and I end up getting into a car accident. And the car that I happened to strike was the one that was carrying that person that you love. And it ends up killing that person. He says, but in my fear, I flee the scene. And so I've done a a fatal hit and run. He says, what if that moment for me was a turning point? And I said, from this moment forward, I'm not gonna gonna do anything bad. I'm gonna devote my life to doing good. And I do, in fact, you know what, Rob? I, I create the cure for cancer. And then years later, it's found out that I'm guilty for that fatal hit and run. And I'm standing before the judge, and they're reading off the things that are being accused against me, and the judge recognizes that I'm the guy who created the cure for cancer. And he says, man, you've done so much good with that cure for cancer. This fatal hit and run over here, don't worry about it. You've done enough. We're not going to worry about that. He said, how would you feel in that moment? I said, well, obviously not thrilled. Would want there to be, to be justice. And it's likely what many of you are feeling. But that's the way that it'll operate on the final day. That even if this moment forward, we continue in perfect righteousness, which we know just isn't going to be the case, but let's say it is, there's still past sin That needs to be dealt with. And God is perfectly just. And for him to to let sin go. To not judge sin. Would be unjust. That story that my pastor was telling me. He just highlighted that That would be terrible injustice. And you'd be frustrated wouldn't you? Yeah of course I would. God is a just God. He is a good judge. He does not let sin go unpunished. And that's a good thing. We should take comfort in that. Every sin will be paid for. But then, as Habakkuk is looking around, he's seeing that God is, in fact, loving. He sees that God is just, but he's, he's not seeing those things acted upon right now, which is, which is frustrating for him. But he also sees God's holiness, and he trusts God's holiness. So look at verse 12 of chapter 1. He says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? he goes on in in verse 13 you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong now that word holy means to be pure or set apart and habakkuk knows that god is in fact perfectly pure perfectly holy he knows sin cannot dwell with god For you are not a god who delights in wickedness evil may not dwell with you we read in psalms and so a question that, that may come up is, well, isn't God omnipresent? Isn't he, isn't he present in all places at all times? And so if he is, in fact, doesn't that mean he's in the presence of sin kind of all the time? Now, I just want to point out there is a difference between being in the presence of something and dwelling with something. Does that make sense? The difference between being in the presence and dwelling. Just read that verse in Psalm 5. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. God may be in the presence of it, but it won't be there forever. To be in the presence of something is, is temporary. To dwell with something is permanent. You go to a concert, you can watch your favorite musician perform. You can be in their presence. You go to a basketball game, watch your favorite basketball player play, and you can be in that, that guy's presence. It doesn't mean that you dwell with those individuals. Do you see the difference? So God may be in the presence of it, but sin will not dwell with him. It will be addressed. And so even in Habakkuk's frustration, as he looks at God's love, at God's justice, at God's holiness, even in his frustration, he remembers God's character. And he orients his prayers according to that knowledge. We just read how he points out God's love and he points out God's justice and God's holiness. And he lets God's character orient and, and kind of direct the way that he prays to him. He has faith in the character of God. In his love and in his justice and in his holiness. The question for all of us is, is, who do you know God to be? Do you know God to be loving and just and holy? Because it's really easy to let our own experiences and to let our own culture kind of shape the way that we view God. I encourage you, friends, don't do that. Don't do that. Be informed of God by who he says he is in his word and let that inform your prayers. Do you know God to be loving? Do you know him to be just and to be holy? Are your prayers shaped by God's character? And the further question is, is your character increasingly looking like God's character? The term for that is just sanctification. We're increasingly becoming more and more like Jesus, like our Savior. Those that increased holiness and increased righteousness in our life doesn't make us saved but because we are saved we pursue those things It's what it means to follow christ we're following after him he's perfectly righteous it's difficult to say that i'm following christ the perfectly righteous one and pursue sin those two things just don't go together doesn't mean that we're not going to sin we're still in the flesh we still fight against sin but the difference is are we pursuing it or are we fighting against it so because god is just sin will be paid for Because God is loving, he's given himself to pay for that sin. And Because God is holy, when we receive God by faith in Christ, we then receive his holiness and we are declared holy with him. So we see his his love creating a way for us to be reunited to him. His justice, he's, he's not going to overlook his justice, it's going to happen. But in his love, he's created a way for us to be declared just. And in his holiness, because we're united to him, we are now declared holy. Habakkuk looks at the character of God, and in difficult days, he entrusts himself to the character of God. He points that out. And he lets it orient his prayers. And he asks God to help him explain. And God does explain. And what Habakkuk quickly realizes is that God's ways are not his ways. And so now we see that we not only have faith in the character of God, but we have faith in the plans of God. He quickly finds out that God's plans just simply aren't his plans. Look in uh, chapter one, verse five. We're gonna read verse five, part of verse six, then we'll jump down to verse 13. So we read, this is God talking. He says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. That's just another way to say Babylonians. And then in verse 13, we see Habakkuk responding. He says, you who are purer eyes and to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Habakkuk is, is frustrated. He brings all this stuff to God and says, why aren't you doing anything? Then God assures him, I am doing something. It's just not in the way that Habakkuk expected. Habakkuk doesn't like that. He's frustrated that God would use a more wicked nation, Babylon, to punish the wickedness of Judah. Verse 13, again. The wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. Babylon swallows up Judah. Judah might not be Righteous, but they're more righteous than Babylon. That's what Habakkuk is saying. Why are you letting that take place, God? How is that just? Shouldn't Babylon be judged? So he asks God, if you look at verse 17, he essentially asks, are you just going to let Babylon continue mercilessly killing nations forever? You want know, them continue mercilessly killing nations like ours forever? And here's the thing, throughout the storyline of the Bible, we see God consistently working out a greater good through unexpected means, unexpected ways. Just like a quick highlight reel through this. So if you think of the story of Joseph, he's the 11th son of Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. He's the 11th. And Jacob favored Joseph more than all of his other brothers. So he gives him this robe of many colors. Many of you know the story. Now, his brothers weren't real thrilled about that. And so they, <coughs> excuse me, they, they sell him into slavery. And then He's sold into into Potiphar's house. He's falsely accused. He's thrown in jail. He gets out of jail. And then he becomes one of the most powerful men in Egypt. And then there's a severe famine in the land. And his brothers go to Egypt trying to get food. And they don't realize that Joseph is now one of the head honchos there. And so they're going there asking for food. They don't even recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognizes them. And When they eventually do realize that it is Joseph that they're asking food for, they're terrified. They're totally terrified because they think Joseph is going to take revenge on them. But Joseph eases their fears. And here's what he says in Genesis chapter 50, season verses 19 and 20. Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today so through this joseph being sold into slavery him being falsely accused him going to jail god used it to end up bringing a greater good to save god's people when a severe famine hit brothers nearly die they need food otherwise they're all going to starve and they go and joseph is the guy who's able to provide it and in his love for them he does provide it and through this The line of the Messiah was preserved. Okay, so that's one example. Let's also look at at Ruth. A while back we went through the book of Ruth. She was a Moabite woman. She wasn't an Israelite. Her husband had died and she had no one but her mother-in-law who was this bitter old angry woman named Naomi. Naomi was leaving Moab, a land where she never should have been to begin with, but she was leaving Moab to go back to the tribe of Judah, which is in Israel. And so Ruth, a Moabite, she, she goes with her. She says, hey, your God's going to be my God. Your people are going to be my people. And she has no husband. She has no sons. And she's going into a foreign land as a widow. She has to provide for herself. She's in a very vulnerable place. She has no one to protect her. And it just so happens that the field that she goes to, the owner of it, Boaz, is related to her deceased husband. And so he's able to be a kinsman redeemer. And he does. He ends up redeeming her. And they end up getting married and they have a son named Obed who happens to be the grandfather of King David. And through that, we see that the line of the Messiah is continued to be preserved and cared for. God used the pain of their situation, Naomi losing her sons, Naomi losing her husband, Ruth, losing her husband, God used that painful and difficult situation to bring about a greater good to not only provide them with what they need to survive but also to provide his people, his covenant people, with the Messiah. And also if you look at Daniel, this will be the last one that we look at for the sake of time, but Daniel was exiled to Babylon and he was chosen to to serve in Nebuchadnezzar's court And in 539 B.C., Persia overtakes Babylon, so Daniel is again exiled to Persia, and he's also again placed in a position of power. Other officials are jealous of him, and so they devise a plan to get him uh, in trouble with the king. And what ends up happening is that he's thrown into a den of lions for not worshiping the king, King Darius. And then, even though he's thrown into this den of lions, he's spared. And Darius, the king responds by commanding all people to worship Daniel's God. See in Daniel 6, verse 26, starting there, King Darius says this. He says, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Daniel was exiled not once, but twice. Daniel was thrown into a den of lions. Yet, God used that to bring about a greater good. Not only was Daniel exalted and protected and provided for, but God's power and faithfulness were displayed through Daniel. And then King Darius began to worship God and also told others to do so as well. There are more examples, Esther and Mordecai, we could look at Jonah, we could look at the apostles who all had different plans for their lives prior to Christ calling them, and yet God used them to establish the church and to bring many people to himself. And so like these other individuals, Habakkuk came to the realization that God's plans are greater than his. God's ways are higher than than his. See, all kinds of instances. We go through the storyline of scripture of these terrible things happening, but God using them to bring about a greater good. His ways are just better than ours. And Habakkuk, who wants this justice to be had in Judah, who wants the evil to be addressed, calls upon God, and God says, I'm going to, but it's not going to be the way that you would have planned it. And he convinces Habakkuk through this interaction that his ways are, in fact, better than Habakkuk's. Isaiah talks about this, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Friends, we can trust God's ways because they always lead to the good of God's people. We can trust God's ways because they always lead to the good of God's people. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for their good. The problem that sometimes arises is that God's definition of good and our definition of good sometimes don't match. In which case we need to come to the Lord and (laughs) and confess to him the difficulty that we're having with it, just like Habakkuk did. God used wicked Babylon to bring justice against Judah in 586 BC. We see that that takes place, secular historians say, yep, that, that is exactly what took place which fulfills God's promise to Habakkuk in chapter one. But then God used Persia to bring justice against Babylon in 539 BC, which again fulfills God's promise to Habakkuk in chapter two. So what we see consistently is that God's word will be done. We can trust that what he's going to do is going to take place, and we can also, friends, just trust that it is going to be better than what we expected it to be on our own. His ways are are just better than ours. So even when difficult seasons come, are you trusting that God's ways are, in fact, better than yours? Students, your student in the room, when you don't get into the school that you're hoping to get into, when you don't get the scholarship that you work for, when a relationship doesn't work out, are you trusting that God's ways are, in fact, better than yours, that his plans are better? If you're single, you didn't expect to be single at this stage of life, are you trusting that God's ways are better than yours? If you're in a career and you didn't get the promotion or the pay raise that you thought that you had earned, are you trusting that God's ways, God's plans are greater than yours? If you're a parent in the room, and your children don't profess the faith even though you've been faithful to proclaim the gospel to them, even though you've been faithful in family worship, and your children don't proclaim the faith, are you trusting that God's ways, God's plans, are better than yours? And it's easy to make the connection. As we look at this text with Habakkuk, he's saying, God, there's wickedness all around. This nation of Judah is, is promoting things that are wicked and justice is not going forth. It's easy to see that and say, man, that feels a lot like today. Where we see wickedness and we see sin being celebrated. we see justice not going forth. I would encourage you to like Habakkuk, trust God's character, that he is in fact loving, that he is in fact holy and he is just, and those things will be taken care of. And also trust his plans. Now, that doesn't mean be passive. I'm not saying that. When it comes to our nation, be involved. Try to work for righteousness. That's a good thing to do. As Christians that are citizens of this country, we we should do that. We should be the best citizens that we possibly can be. But don't put your hope in the passing kingdom of man. Rather, place your hope in the kingdom of God. We see this in Hebrews 11. We're talking about Abraham. uh, The author says, by faith... He went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And here's the point I want to highlight. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. When we look around our own nation, and we see wickedness, we see sin being celebrated, we see justice not going forth, do something about it. Yes. Yes and amen. But don't let your hope be in this nation. Let your hope be in the kingdom of God, whose designer and builder is God. God's plans, God's ways are greater than our own. He is going to establish his kingdom. And if you are in Christ, then you are a citizen of that kingdom, and you will be able to enjoy that for all eternity. The 60, 70, 80, 90 years that you may have here are going to seem like a blip on the radar of the billions and trillions of years that you have in eternity we just sang 10,000 years. Man, we're going to be able to sing for 10,000 years and forevermore. 10,000 reasons title. But okay, so we see God's, uh, we see the character of God that we're called to have faith in. We see the plans of God that we're called to have faith in. And now we see the salvation of God. So God has promised salvation, and he has been faithful to provide it. We, We go through more examples throughout the Old Testament. We see with Adam and Eve, the The promise that he gave to the woman, that through the seed of the woman, there will be salvation for all of her offspring. Uh, We see that the the world falls into sin, but there will be salvation for the world through the seed of the woman. Then we see with Abraham that that God revealed that this salvation plan for the world was to come through Abraham's family. And so we see salvation for the world. Now we see, okay, it's going to come through this family of Abraham. He has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, Jacob has 12 sons, they all nearly die in that famine but Joseph spares them, God, God ultimately spares them through Joseph, and then we see that those 12 sons become the nation of Israel, and that nation of Israel is, eventually becomes enslaved to the nation of Egypt, and we see God through Moses in the Exodus bring his people out of slavery, out of bondage. And then we see him provide them with a promised land through the con- conquest of Canaan. But God's salvation didn't stop there. I said this last week, but I just need to say it again. God's salvation continues on. And we see that now, in this New Testament era, that God saves the church. And he does that through Christ, the greater Moses, who leads his people through an exodus from the bondage that is sin. It's not physical slavery, but it's spiritual slavery. We're slaves of sin. Through Christ, we are freed of that. And then he leads us into a promised land, a new heaven and a new earth, a city whose builder and architect is God. And so when you trust God for salvation, friends, you can faithfully endure in difficult days. Habakkuk was in difficult days. When you trust God for salvation, you can faithfully endure those difficult days. Look in chapter 3 of Habakkuk if you would. Chapter 3 and look at verse 17. This is towards the end. Only 19 verses in chapter 3. Look at verse 17. Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stall. So he's describing difficult days. Verse 18, yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high place. Friends, if you entrust yourself to God for salvation, you can live faithfully in difficult days. Why? Because you know that this life is as bad as it's going to get for you. It's only going to get better in the life to come. I, uh, I've done an escape room a few times, and they're fun. How many in here have done an escape room? Okay, right? So they're, they're enjoyable. Likely... Um, and if this is you, I apologize, likely you weren't having an anxiety attack in that escape room, thinking that you were going to be trapped in there forever. Right? You were able to enjoy it, hopefully. Why? Because you knew that even if you don't get out in the time allotted, they're going to let you out. You're going to get out of there. This is not going to be forever for you. Similarly, in a, in a, when I was a kid, when there'd be storms that would go on and we, our house would lose power, I was excited about it. I was, I was, oh, this is great. This is, this is kind of cool. The lights are out. And, and now, now, if I actually thought that we would never have power again, I would be a little bit more anxious, would not be super excited about that. But because I knew that the power would eventually come on, I, I enjoyed losing the power as a kid. But it's because I knew the power would come back on. I enjoy those escape rooms because I know they're going to let me out. I'm not going to be stuck there forever. And so when the storms of life rage on, Let your confidence be in God's salvation. Let that bring you great comfort, knowing that this life does not have the final say. You're not stuck here forever. God is going to make all things new. And if you are in Christ, then this is as bad as it's going to get for you. It will only get better. The power will come back on. You will make it out. And so God has faithfully saved his people again and again and again. His salvation didn't stop with Adam and Eve or Noah or Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. It didn't stop with Ruth or Daniel. It didn't stop with Jonah or Esther or Israel. His salvation didn't stop with the Exodus. It didn't stop with the conquest of Canaan and providing them a promised land. God has ultimately saved and continues to save, friends, through the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're not a Christian here today, I would ask you, what's keeping you from receiving the free gift of salvation that he offers today? What are you depending on to save? What do you go to when things are difficult, when life does feel like a storm? What brings you comfort? If you haven't, I would encourage you, call the name of Christ. The salvation that he offers is free. You will receive his holiness, his righteousness, the kind of holiness and righteousness that you need to stand in the presence of God. The kind that you need to dwell with God, a holy God. And he will take away your sin. And you can trust that it's been paid for entirely on the cross. If you are a Christian, remember that your salvation is not dependent on your righteousness, but on Christ's perfect righteousness. Have faith in what he has done for you. The Apostle Paul points out that this theme, this theme of Habakkuk, that the righteous will live by faith, it's so pivotal it's so important that the Apostle Paul, in perhaps his most theologically robust letter, the, the book of Romans, when he's writing to this church, in the first chapter, he references it. Turn there, if you would. Romans chapter 1. It's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Let's see the book of Acts, and then Romans. In verse 16, we see Paul begin to explain what the righteous will live by faith means. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. One theologian uh, was commenting on this, and and if you're familiar with the Reformers, Martin Luther sparked off the, the Reformation. And the thing that sparked the Reformation was Martin Luther looking at this text and being moved by what this phrase means. The righteous shall live by faith. So this theologian recounting this, he says, the Greek word which was used in Romans 1.17 didn't mean to make righteous, but rather to regard as righteous, to count as righteous, to declare as righteous. And this was the moment of awakening for Luther. He said, you mean here Paul is not talking about the righteousness by which God himself is righteous, but a righteousness that God gives freely by his grace to people who don't, have righteousness of their own? And so Luther said, whoa, you mean the righteousness by which I will be saved is not mine? It's what he called an alien righteousness. A righteousness that belongs properly to somebody else. It's a righteousness that is outside of us. Namely, the righteousness of Christ. And Luther said, when I discovered that, I was born again of the Holy Ghost and the doors of paradise swung open I walked through. Friends, the righteous will live by faith. Faith in the character of God, his love, justice, and holiness. Faith in the plans of God that his ways are in fact higher than ours. That he uses all things for the good of his people. And faith in the salvation of God that he has kept his word to deliver his people from bondage. Not only physical bondage but even more so spiritual bondage. God will fully address the evil. He'll address the sin that is in the world. But he'll do it through Christ. Right? He's Using Christ to do these things. Christ as judge and Christ as perfect righteousness. If you call on him, if you call on Christ in faith, you will be declared righteous and you will live. Friends, the righteous will live by faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you for this book of Habakkuk. Lord, we pray that it would shape us and that it would strengthen our faith. We pray that we'd be a people who live by faith, that we have great confidence in what Christ has accomplished, not what we have accomplished but what you have done through him. We pray that for those in here who have not yet called on the name of Christ, that today would be the day. That they would recognize themselves to be sinners, in need of their sin to be removed, in need of someone to save them from the impending judgment that you will bring because you are a just and holy God. and That they would call on Christ for that saving. And that they would call on Christ to provide that righteousness. We pray that would be the case today. We ask this in Christ's strong name. Amen.